this uh, new series called uh, Difference Maker. And so uh, I, I believe that if you are here, you're different than most teenagers your age. Uh, you've come because you understand that's always a mistake to let comfort dictate your decisions. You're here because you know that God has a purpose for your life, and that is bigger than having the latest iPhone or being the most popular kid at school. It's so much bigger than that. Uh, you're here because you know that God wants to use you um, as a difference maker. You know, so most people, most people let comfort dictate their decisions. If something is hard, they kind of run away from it, so they never really accomplish anything of value. If there's conflict in a relationship, the, they bail and never experience true and lasting love. That's why I think just teenage dating is not the wisest choice because basically what you're doing is just practicing for divorce because you, you get tired of dating them. All right, I'm out. Huh? What? Now get off. All right. But... You understand, it's always, bless you, a mistake to let comfort dictate your decisions. <coughs> and this sort of living results in looking back over a long life and wondering what could have been. You know, what, what experiences did I miss out on? Who could I have had a deeper relationship with? You can kind of sum this up, sort of, can sum up this sort of living with one word, regret. For many of us, even though we believe God has a purpose for us, we struggle with living that, that out in our in our day-to-day -day lives, we don't always just, we believe that God has a plan. We know He has a plan, but we don't always just, the way we act and the way we choose to make our choices doesn't always follow with that belief that, yes, God has a plan. We know He has a plan for us, but we choose to make our own choices in life and we don't follow His plan, right? In the Bible, Jesus gives us the practical steps that we long for. If we trust what His Word says, we'll be able to see God do amazing things through us, right? So today, uh, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Acts. I love it. All these people getting their Bibles makes me happy. If you don't remember why we have you guys get these Bibles, it's for a reason. Um, when you graduate high school, I'll, I give you a Bible, right? A graduation. And so... Uh, we thought it'd be cool to give you the Bible that you use every week. So whenever you get your graduated Bible, you have all these cool notes and things that you guys have done and all the doodles you've drawn as you've not listened to me speak. I don't have any doodles. That's good, right? Do you have anything in there? Okay. So we're going to be in Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Good grief, man. No wonder you're grounded. All right. We're going to see three action steps that will help us become the difference makers that God is calling us to be. Acts chapter 1. I know, it's, you're fine, you big tick, baby. Here we go. To give you some context, some background of what's taking place here at Acts chapter 1, Jesus has just spent three to three and a half years teaching and healing and just being pretty awesome all around the nation of Israel. 
he amassed quite a, a following during the time. Yes, he had 12 disciples, but there were more people that followed Jesus than just those 12. So he had some people following him around. Many people who, had, who previously were hopeless found hope in Jesus. Uh, toward the end of his ministry, religious leaders who were threatened by him had him killed on the cross. And of course, three days later, he rose again and eventually appeared to over 500 people. This was a moment of incredible victory for Jesus and early followers alike, right? So Acts chapter 1 describes a scene when many of those followers were gathered around Jesus and anticipating something big to happen, right? He just, I mean, he rose from the grave. Something awesome is going to happen, right? So we're going to read verses 6 and 7 together. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So this leads us to the first action step. We should, you and I should seek total trust in God. You know, I, I can relate to the disciples in this passage. What this shows us is that this, the disciples had an expectation of what they believed God should do. And we should keep in mind that their question was, was really a, a loaded question. There never been more tension between followers of Jesus and, and Jewish non-followers of Jesus, because these followers, they were Jewish people, right? If Jesus wasn't going to establish his kingdom, that likely meant a greater amount of persecution was coming for Jews. So because Jesus had different plans than the disciples, the disciples were entering into a very uncomfortable position. And there was so much to, about the future that was outside of their control. And even when they had asked the question, Jesus' response gave them no extra information or even words of, of comfort, really. There was no, it'll be just a little bit longer, or don't worry, it's going to be all right. Instead, he just says, it's not for you to know. I, speaking from, from my thing, I would be like, um, that's not good enough, Jesus, I need a real answer. Anybody like me? We're like, we're like, Jesus, tell me what it is. I don't want to be like, that ain't your, none of your business. No, make it my business, Jesus. When we face moments of uncertainty like the disciples were facing, we sometimes feel like God isn't giving us the answer that we're wanting. And when this happens, we're left wondering, well, what do I do? <coughs> Jesus was asking his disciples to trust him. He was calling them to faith over comfort. So what does that look like for you and I when we face moments of uncertainty? When we don't know what's going to happen, what the future holds. Those of you that are juniors, seniors in high school, what does that mean? The moment, you know, facing moments of uncertainty. What, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go after high school? It looks like us seeking to totally trust God. So I'm going to give you guys three quick uh, but very important ways that we can trust God. Number one, don't settle on the question of why. Instead, ask what now? Because of the brokenness of this world, we may never get the answer to why. You know, why God? Why are you letting this happen? What? Why? Why, why did this happen? Why am I am I hurt? Why am I you know lonely? Why is this whatever happening in my life? We need to move from that question of why to what now. When we ask what now, we can begin to change our perspective to see how God might be wanting to leverage the challenges in our lives. All right, God, what, what are you trying to teach me now through this time? 
Instead of, why, God, am I hurting? God, what do you want to teach me through this hurt? Just changes our perspective, and we begin to kind of trust God a little bit more. The second thing is to find your comfort in the Scriptures. In moments of uncertainty, most people fall into the temptation of, of just wanting to take control of their lives and kind of take back what they believe is theirs. This leads to them to making decisions that they're going to regret later on in life. Instead, we should read Scriptures and lean on the promises of God. That way we will experience peace in the midst of the storms that you and I face. And the third one <clears throat> is to pray honest and hopeful prayers. When you face uncertainty and you're afraid, tell God that you're afraid. Something tragic happens in your life and you're angry with God. Communicate with God that you're upset. When those things happen, and we pretend like nothing is wrong. It actually leads us to lose faith because we're living as if the problem is too big for God to handle. You know, if, if you've ever read through the book of Psalms, you, you'll see a lot of these prayers from David and these other guys. <clears throat> and they, don't, they don't hold back of what they're praying to God. It's, you're looking at it like, ooh, man, how has God not like smited you dead? But with that, the way you're talking to him that way. That's how... God's going to handle those kind of prayers at you. He wants you to be honest with your prayers and hopeful in your prayers. But the word total, going back to that point a while ago, the word total, it's an important word. By its very nature, trust requires not having all the facts, not being in control. And that's how it is in life, right? Like We just go through life, no matter what we do in life, whether it be at school or a, a sporting team or work, or college, we don't have all the answers in life. We don't know what's going to come next. But trust just requires not having all those answers and still taking that next step. If you had all the facts and were able to control every outcome, there would be no need for us to trust God, right? Because we know it all. He, you know, We know everything. Total trust in God's plan is what it means to have faith. Thankfully, God doesn't leave us to fight these battles alone. <clears throat> so we're going to keep reading in verse, or in chapter uh, 1. We're going to get the very first part of verse 8. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Alright, so we're going to pause right there. That leads us to the, our second action item, our second action step. Live expecting God to do amazing things through you. How many of you guys believe this? Like, do you believe that God can do amazing things through you? Okay. Do you live like you believe God can do amazing things through you? So I want you to remember the context that we're dealing with, right? The people in charge had just killed Jesus. When they asked Jesus if he was going to set up his earthly kingdom, he basically said, no, and gave them no other information, right? And in that moment, I'm sure the disciples were looking at each other with concern about what the future held for them. And then Jesus throws this game changer out to them. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Think about it this way. Imagine you were a little kid playing football um, with your buddies, and you're, you're tiny like, like Jackson is, and you just have no hope of winning a game ever. They're all bigger, they're all faster, they're all stronger than you. Just, you're Jackson, and it's just hard to do good. In, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, Jackson. But anyways, so 
You're playing these kids that are bigger than you. I mean, hey, I was a little too to work. Playing against these kids that are bigger than you, and it's just hard to win sometimes. And no matter what you do, you're not able to be successful. Over time, your confidence will diminish, and you may give up playing football, right? But now imagine the same day you're, at, you're in the neighborhood with your kids playing the same pickup game, and you go out there, and, and you're, you're Jackson, and you're already mad because they're all bigger than you are. And then you have... But then Jackson has Patrick Mahomes come and hit some of his teammates. He's got Tyree Kill and some other guys come up, and they're like, "All right, we're gonna play some ball." Do you have? Did your confidence come back a little bit? You're like, "All right, I'm gonna take you down. We're gonna win today," because you have these guys, these people who are so much better than you and I are on the team. There's, you know, like, man, there is no group of these punk kids who can compete with my team now, right? If we walk with obedience and we trust God's leading, when we speak and work for the glory of God, we're speaking with the greatest source of power that this world has ever seen. Because who can stand up and compete against God? That's, I want you to answer that question. Who can stand up and... No, I mean, you can do that, whatever. That's fine. Yeah, nobody can stand up against God, right? You see, Jesus is not saying, just set your mind on living for Jesus and try really hard, and you might do some good in this world. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is promising us the power source that raised him from the dead. This is what Paul was saying in Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. When you and I understand this passage, we know that it doesn't matter who goes up against us. We're living for God. He fights our battles for us. Because I want you guys to think about this verse, because I don't think you guys quite picked up what this verse is saying. The same power that rose Christ from the dead, if you are a follower of Christ, is within you. Why can't we do some amazing things in this world? Right? Well, I think... You said you, you live like you believe this, but do we really believe it? I think if we truly believe that the, the power of the rose Christ from the dead is within us, if we truly believed it, I think there would be a lot. Our lives look different. Our lives, the evidence of our lives would be much different. In fact, Jesus, when he's talking to his, his homeboys there, um, getting ready to die, he's at the Last Supper, and he's talking to his guys. You know what he says to them? He's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says... You know, you've seen some pretty cool things, but the Helper's going to come to you, and you're going to do greater things than me. Did anybody, did anybody hear that? Jesus told his disciples, you're going to do greater things than me. We saw, we know, we read the account of what Jesus did, right? We see what it says in the Gospels. He said, you're going to do greater things than this. Nobody, nobody's excited about that. That's cool. Awesome. That should excite you guys that that same power that rose Jesus from the dead that did all these great things is within each one of us. And we have the chance and the power to do some amazing things. Not because we're great, not because we're good or deserve to do those good things, but because of how good God is and the power that He is showing us, right? We don't have to be afraid of what people think about us. 
being a follower of Christ, we don't have to be afraid of, of persecution. Not that there's really, I mean, persecution in America is really weak compared to places in other places in this world. But we have the, the power of Jesus' resurrection within each one of us. We may be awkward and scrawny like Jackson, but we're, we've got a power source that people, that propels us to do amazing, difference-making things in our world. But God isn't calling us to be passive. Instead, He's equipped us to be bold and powerful because He has given us His power. This is why a missionary named William Carey said this right here, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. It's not in our power that we do these things, but in God's power that we are able to make a history-changing difference in this world. I believe, I do what I do. I've been in ministry for nearly two decades. I'm I do student ministry because I believe that you can make a difference and you can change this world. I do. I believe that each one of you has the capacity to change this world. I do. And you may be like, Ryan, you're an idiot. Look at me. I mean, but I, I, I do. I believe that each one of you can change this world. I believe each one of you has what it takes because it's not about you. It's about who is inside of you. And he's not a little God. That power that rose Christ from the dead is within you. I believe that power can use you to change the world. I truly believe that. So we're looking at the last half of, of verse 8. It says, He will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So our final action item, our final step is this. Live lives that glorify Jesus. Take a second just to consider what this calling would mean for someone who Jesus was talking to. Remember, if you were here on Sunday and you heard my sermon, or if you slept during it, that's fine, whatever. But we talked about context and learning and knowing the context of who you know the Bible is written to, who the, the authors, I mean the the the, the crowd that they write to. All these, you know, knowing the context helps us understand the Bible just infinitely better. And so, you know, we had. Jesus had just been crucified, right? And basically just told, told you, you know, here in Acts chapter 1, right before this, remember verse 7, that he wasn't establishing his kingdom yet. And so the Romans, they're still in charge, right? Persecution was likely in your future that you were probably going to be persecuted for your faith. Now Jesus was telling you, hey, go and not, don't hide in the house, but go tell people about what I did, what's going on in your life. Go, go spread this message. Have you ever stopped to consider how much value we place, you and I, on our personal safety? Well, I absolutely think it's important for us to be safe. It's interesting to me that what Jesus commands his followers to do is not safe. While he was leading them toward persecution, he was also leading them toward incredible, history-changing, eternally impactful lives of purpose. So what would happen if, for the rest of your life, you let your comfort and personal safety dictate your decisions? What if you let other people's opinions of you determine your behaviors? Because you, you're here tonight, you're standing at a crossroads. There may be some of you here who, who profess Jesus with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. You may dress the part, you may come to church, you may be a leader, you may even may have gone on a mission trip with us before. 
unless something changes, you'll never experience God working through you the way he worked through the disciples in the early church. Are you satisfied with that kind of life? What is it that is keeping you from being a difference maker for Christ? That's what this whole series is about the next few weeks. Maybe it's past hurt. Maybe some kind of church trauma you've experienced in your life. Maybe it's a secret addiction. Maybe it's a fear of what other people may think. So my, my, my closing challenge here is, is, is threefold for you. Number one, trust God completely. Confess what it, what it is that has been holding you back and repent and, and just turn and follow Jesus. Number two, expect God to work through you. Don't shy away from attempting great things for God because of fear. That same power that rose Christ from the dead is within you. Number three, boldly follow Christ. Some of you have been living for yourself, and you, but you know that God is calling you to step out of faith and completely surrender your life to Christ. Those are the three things I want you guys to, to think about and look at for your life as you get ready to go to, we're going to, we're going to do our worship here in a minute and, and uh, go to our small groups. This is kind of what you want to, to focus on to see how you can grow. Maybe one of these three areas is where maybe you need to begin. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to have the, the, the band come up and then uh, sing a couple songs and then we'll go to our, our small groups. So let's pray. God, tonight, may you just uh, continue to speak in our hearts and our minds about what it means to be a difference maker, that we, we truly believe that the, the same power that rose you from the dead, God, dwells, with, dwells in us, and that we have that power to do amazing things, not because of, of who we are or anything special about us, but because of just that power and who you are. God, I pray as we sing these songs and we, we go to small groups, we continue to think about these things and, and find ways to, just to grow and to... Um, just to leave here and be challenged um, by your word. Shame, I pray. Amen.